and this shit up! Front to back, side to side! This is the Out Ego Podcast! Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Hayden Oakley, and this is the Alt Ego Podcast. Uh, in this episode, I was having a chat with Tom Catgert from The Motion Below. Uh, we, we had a really good chat about an entire range of topics. You know, we went through uh, his early days, you know, a bit of mental health. We, we covered off a lot. We covered off a lot. Um, if you're a fan of the show, let us know. Send us an email. Uh, you can email us at altegopod at gmail.com. And you can follow us everywhere on social media with the handle at altegopod. Uh, you can also follow me. At lack full stop. All right, without any further ado, let's get into the show. All right, hi Tom, thank you for jumping onto the show. Um, um, you're very welcome, mate. Tell me, how's everything going? Uh, yeah, can't complain. Uh, it's all. I don't think it's any different for me than it is for anyone else at the moment. Just going a little bit stir crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can't really do anything that I normally would, but uh, you know, uh, I don't. I don't think I'm copying it any worse than other people. So yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. feel like I can complain. How We're about all kind you? of yeah? Well, I'm I'm all right. I'm I'm working uh, the day job still, so that's all right. But apart okay. from that, that's that's about it. That's that's everything. I mean, well, yeah, this podcast as well, I suppose. But yeah, it's been real quiet, real yeah. quiet. But um, you know, to to kick things off, I just want to start with uh, asking. You know, what it is it exactly that you do? What is your creative outlets uh, and how do you kind of communicate with that with the world? So, you know, give give the audience a bit of an understanding of what it is that you do and where you're from. Okay. So, I am the front man for a band called The Motion Below. If you haven't heard of us, we're kind of like post-hardcore metalcore kind of stuff. So, I do the loud yelling for long periods of time thing. Uh, aside from that, I am a bit of a multi-instrumentalist, but I'm not a very good one, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I play guitar, I play a bit of bass, I, I do a bit of, uh, music production on my own, but for the most part, it's the band, uh, yeah, uh, I'm currently situated in Melbourne, uh, Australia, same as you and all my bandmates, and, uh, the... That's like a, a fair umbrella for most of my creative pursuits. I don't. I'm not really doing much else at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that. That's that's pretty easy. That's kind of you know really focused. So hopefully we can we can kind of dive into you know how how we got here. So yeah. Just to to bring things back, tell me you know what uh, what's your background? You know where were you born? Tell me about your family and your upbringing. Just, you know, don't go into too much detail, but briefly, like, you know, where are you coming from? Right, your yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, well, I was, so I was born here in Melbourne. Uh, I think, I think technically I was born in Kew. Uh, I've lived in Melbourne my entire life, the last 24 years. Grew up in a family of four, so my mum, my dad, and my little brother, uh, not really a music-centric family. My dad used to play a bit of sax, apparently, but I've never seen him holding a saxophone, let alone playing <laughs> one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I uh, went from not really having much of a background in music at all until uh, I'd say around the age of 14. 
uh, when I started getting into heavy stuff. I had a mate who was one of the school emo kids, and he got me into like Parkway Drive and Escape the Fate. And okay, here we are. But prior to that, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, that's all good. So, prior to that, you know, there was never really any kind of musical influence. It wasn't until, like, you know, teenage years, really, that it all settled in, really? Pretty much, yeah. Like, I did listen to music a little bit. Uh, I I was... It was always more, like, the sort of stuff that my parents probably grew up with. I used to listen to a lot of, like, the Beatles, uh, Queen, a bit of Akadaka. There was another one that I'm forgetting. But those were the main ones. Uh, Who was more into it, mum or dad? Uh, my mum, definitely. My dad's got a... I still couldn't, like, accurately summarise my dad's taste in music because, like, <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be, like, a lot of soul, a lot of, like, 70s soul music, which, if you've met my dad, that would seem like such a weird pairing. But, yeah, uh, yeah now, my mum has a pretty broad uh, music taste and looks so does my dad, but I think that she was the one who fostered it more. Uh, I they actually do have quite a big CD collection. So, like, when I did start showing a bit more interest in music, that was when I got introduced to bands like Nirvana and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, just a lot of that kind of, like, late so 80s, spring, early 90s. there's a sprinkling of that, like, alternative rock kind of yeah, vibe music. Like there the was sprinklings of it, but it was pop. never... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, yeah, apart from that, it was, like, the, yeah, like, Beatles and Queen. First CD okay. I ever owned was Queen's Greatest Hits. I've still got it. <laughs> when did you get that? How old were you? Uh, I think I was nine. I was pretty nine? young. Nine? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. I, I remember getting my first CD. My first CD was uh, the Wolf Mother self-titled. And I got that That was, was my was brother's like, first CD, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> dude, as far as first CDs go, like, that's it. I mean, look, you can't go wrong with the Beatles as a first CD. But for me, like, Wolf Mother as a first CD was just like, this is like... Because, like, I never really gave a crap about music myself. And then, like, I got that CD and I was like, oh, wow. This is, like, really not like anything I'd ever heard before. But I digress. Oh, my God. Absolute killer record. Dude, it's like, look, despite, like, whatever drama's going on with those guys nowadays, like, (laughs) that was something else. I'm so glad I got that as an intro. I actually, like, I'm pretty out of touch with, like, the music industry as a whole. Was that, like, is there actually, like, beef going on with, like, their members oh, or something? No, or? no, they, they haven't really had beef. It's just, like, they kind of washed up. I mean, they did the record and they, like, kind of blew up and then they just kind of went off the rails, went a little bit too rock star and now, you know, you can find, you know, various members from that outfit, you know, selling used gear. Um, right, okay. To, yeah, to, you know, sustain their lifestyles. You know, oh, this was the guitar that belonged to the guy from Wolf Mother. I mean, like, I, I, I can't really speak on, like, what exactly that situation is, but, like, that's just what I've seen, like, you know, no, online. It's, yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> to you know, think of, you know, them in their heyday versus, you know, what they're doing now because they're just kind of, like, rando melbournians like doing their thing yeah well that, and that's they, they the were like rock stars going. yeah <laughs> so it's crazy Classic. but um yeah cool i digress so you were not too into music as a kid i mean like there was music in the house but like being a performer or a musician was never anything really on the cards up until like your teenage years right yeah that's 100 percent um i remember actually having a conversation with some I don't think she was a teacher, but it was like someone who worked at my primary school. 
uh, when I was in like grade five, I literally said to her, like, I don't understand music or why people are like super into music because like that was something that I'd never really gone at that point. I'd never really gone out on my own and like discovered what things about music I really liked. And then when I started getting a bit older and the, you know, it was more different kinds of music being exposed to me at different times. That was when I realized it's not just like not every band's the Beatles or Justin Bieber, like not that I ever listened to that, but uh, you know, that was, that was the sort of thing that I found kind of difficult to understand when I was younger. Cause like, I, I think around that age was around the time where a lot of the girls around my age were starting to get into like boy bands and stuff. And I'm like, this yeah. is. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it's like <laughs> girls have interest. I must acclimate to this new yes. environment. <laughs> and then, yeah. And, but then I went in the complete opposite direction and got into the, the weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you said you music. had a, you said you had a friend who like introduced you. So tell me about that. Like, how did, how did that come about? All right, well, so my mate Jake, shout out to Jake if you're listening to this. Uh, he, uh, yes, yeah, so me and him went to the same high school. Uh, we were both a little bit out on the fringe of like the social hierarchy, I think is safe to say. Uh, so we just kind of like gravitated towards each other. And he was like classic emo kid. And I don't think I'm even insulting him by saying that because he'd probably agree with me. Uh, yeah, all of his favorite, <laughs> he was into like all like, uh, did he have the, the hair? fate? Sorry? Did he have the hair, though? That's the important part. Yes, yes, he had the hair. Yeah, the emo kid hair. Not like the full, like, uh, mop at the front and the spikes at the back, but it was pretty close. It was, like, yeah, nine, yeah. nine-tenths of the way there. Uh, <laughs> but he was into all He's bands, legit. like... He was legit. He, he was legit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was on Tumblr and he uh, used MSN and MySpace. Ooh, and yeah, it was, it oh, was yeah. spot-on emo. Like, so, he tried to get me into a whole bunch of bands. A lot of them I didn't go for. Like, uh, I, I didn't... He, he was really into Bring Me. I wasn't... Yeah. I didn't really get Bring Me for a while. Uh, yeah, don't worry. Like, neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but he got me into, like, uh, the first full, like, heavy alternative kind of album that I actually listened to all the way through was Dying Is Your Latest Fashion by Escape the Fate. And that is that is a good one to start with. Yeah, yeah, it was. That that hooked me straight away. And I think he got a bit overzealous when he realized how much I liked it because the first thing he tried to show me after that was uh Suicide Season. So I went straight from <laughs> I went straight from Escape the Fate to Suicide <gasps> Season. I'm like, that might be a Dude. bit much, mate. <laughs> let's let's yeah. scale that back a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> baby then, steps. Yeah, baby steps. That's right. So it was like Escape the Fate. I, I also uh, found a few bands through like Guitar Hero and like Tony Hawk. Like, uh, oh, dude, yeah. Tip, there, there was a lot of games I played back then that had some fucking killer soundtracks, and I got real into like bands like All That Remains and uh, Rise Against. Mm. Uh, oh, I, I always struggle to think of examples with that, but like, yeah, that but was. Another I know thing. exactly was, what you're talking about. Because like, yeah. I feel like th- there was a lot of uh, pretty much every person from our generation, just for context, we're both like in our mid twenties, um, like has that memory. If you're into this music of like playing those games and that being part of the culture, because I feel like and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. So you kind of had this experience where you had this person in your life who was like already on board with like the alternative music kind of culture and he was like dude you got to get into it and he already had these things floating around you know you talked about in your childhood you had you know sprinklings of like you know alternative rock in there then you had you know 
these soundtracks and this and this media that was kind of like in your face which had all this alternative music like influences and 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 themes and it all kind of like culminated like that the pushing point was like this friend like bringing you into the fold almost yeah that that's pretty spot on uh yeah like i did end up meeting more people like later down the track of high school who are the same but like Mm. he was the first one who like really just like got me into it and like yeah, again, Jake, if you're listening to this, you're practically, like, responsible for me being a performing artist, so props <laughs> to you, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. My, my last, you know, 10-plus years of growth have been 100% due to you as a 13-year-old kid. Thank you very yep. much. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, when did you, like, when about did you come across to, you know, your craft, your your art, so to speak? When did you start, you know, with vocals and, like, what did that look like? Uh, so, that's actually like a really good segue because it also involved the same friend we we used to walk home from school uh because we both uh, he lived a bit further away than i did but it was like a reasonable walking distance and it was like mostly the same way so we'd we'd always like just listen to music through our phone speakers and (laughs) walk home from school and uh one time we were, I th- I'm almost certain it was This War Is Ours. He was playing This War Is Ours by Escape the Fate off his Blackberry. And <laughs> I tr- I tried screaming along to it. And I actually, like, did a semi-okay false chord scream. And I was like, oh, is that what that is? Let's keep doing that. <laughs> and then about a year later, I was, like, I- I'd been doing that for, like, like really... I did a lot of it and I ended up like getting everyone I knew together who had even like a passing interest in that kind of music and started having like jams and stuff. So, so, uh, so what, did, what did that year look like? Like, you know, in detail. So like, you know, from, from that first time that you're like, Oh, I made a scream. That's cool. Like when did you start practicing and what did that look like? So, well, that I think that same day when I got home, I started like researching like what goes into like producing those kinds of sounds, and that was when I found out that there's basically like two major techniques. There's like the fry scream and there's the false chord scream, and uh, I was like, cool. So I'm doing the same one that like dudes in bands like Parkway and like Suicide Silence and uh, Thigh Art were all doing, and mm. I think Thigh Art were a thing back then, maybe not, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so they I started. Were, I think they like, might have had the old singers still, though. Yeah, that might have been like Infinite Death era. I would have. It yeah. would have been like just around the time that I'd found them, if that was the case. Um, yeah, I have a feeling that that they might not have actually been around at that point yet, though. It might have been. What year, roughly, was it? This was two thousand and nine. Definitely possible. I think. Jamie, Infinite you want to pull that up real quick? <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling Infinite Death was twenty ten, but that's that's yeah. not okay. Um, there, there was a lot of bands. Uh, this was like, at this point, we'd been hanging out for a while, and my taste had grown a bit. It was ironic because, like, like I said, I was super not into Bring Me when he tried to show me Bring Me. But then, like six months later, I was listening to shit like Whitechapel and Suicide Silence, uh, heaps of death, like Job for a Cowboy, heaps of like deathcore and like just really heavy shit. And yeah. So I, I dived right down the YouTube uh, rabbit hole, just looking at uh, watching screaming tutorials. There's and I actually- remember from that era, dude. Dude, I was at a similar point at the same time, like trying to figure out oh, how do I do this. And dude, the research, 
like, I'm oh, sorry, research, the resources available on the internet in like that 2009, 2010 era. Garbage. So much. Absolute like, garbage. Bad <laughs> shit, dude. Oh my I, God. I remember finding this video. I still can't tell. Like, I, I think it might have been taken off YouTube. Uh, there was these two guys doing like a false chord scream tutorial. And I still can't tell if it was satire or not. I'm pretty sure it was. uh, If it wasn't, then it was just, like, coincidentally, like, it had perfect comedic timing. Because, like, and, like, the guy, they they split it into two sections. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do, uh, we're going to show you how to do low screams first. And it was like... (laughs) And then they they got to, like, okay, now, uh, this guy is going to do all the high screaming explanation because I can't do it and he can. And he, no joke, he just sounded like (laughs) fucking Smeagol. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! It was like I if you that. if you mic'd up Andy Circus doing his Smeagol voice, that's what his high oh screen sound like. Like, <laughs> oh my god! I, I love the idea of that too. It's like, bro, look, with our powers combined, we will make you into the ultimate vocalist. Like, he's got the lows, I got the highs, bro. Like, and they were both trash. <laughs> oh, dude, dude. Like, were they like I- teenagers? No, no, they were, like, like the age that we are now back then. Really? Yeah, this would have been, like, I think 2010 that I found that video. So, they're probably in their 30s now. Oh, yeah, and, like, they look at that and, like, oh, man, wasn't that a time? Yeah, (laughs) unless it was satire, (laughs) in which case, fucking good on you, boys. That was sick. (laughs) Yeah, ahead of the game. Absolutely. There's Speaking of YouTube tutorials, there's actually one guy, uh, his name's, uh, I think... I think he's changed his channel name now, but it used to be Brandon Kennedy BMX. Mm. Uh, and he had like this fairly comprehensive tutorial about false chord screaming in particular. And that was the only channel I found at the time that actually had like really good, well-researched information. Like he went into detail about what's happening with your throat when it happens and why we have the ability to do that. Uh, it's like a leftover thing from primitive times i can't remember the exact uh explanation Mm. but he went way in depth and all of his videos as far as i'm aware are still up on youtube so if anyone's listening to this who wants to i'm just going to quickly look it up actually i've got a youtube tab open Uh, (laughs) Uh, but yeah i i remember that 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 entire like time period and it was like it was really hard to find those videos because i remember finding a couple that were like in that vein as well being like oh this is actually Someone who sounds like they know what they're doing because they don't sound like shit. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I just looked it up. So, his channel's just called Brandon Kennedy by the looks of it now. I don't know if this is the same channel or if he made a new one, but it definitely looks like the same guy. Uh, Yeah. He's... Shout out Brandon Kennedy. I think he's deleted the old... He looks like he's deleted the old videos, but he's made new ones. Uh, Like, yeah, if you can... I haven't watched his new ones. Maybe they're not all that good, but... Yeah, like, you, you click on the video and he's like, yeah, so vocalism is kind of... <laughs> vocalism. Uh, <laughs> vocals are kind of like, uh, you know, you know, a good a good meal. You know, you, you need to have uh, white power and you need to have white pride and you need to have neo-Nazi <laughs> symbolism. Like, I, I feel like there's a fair chance. Like, before you go endorsing, man, like, just... Take it easy, you know, uh, like yeah, you haven't seen enough. it. I'm pretty sure he's Canadian, so it's fairly safe, but like... Oh, if he's Canadian, dude, 100%, just, just send that shit. <laughs> Casual oh. racial profiling. Oh, yeah, dude, that's it, that's it, that's what we're about. Yeah, um, so, you kind of started to figure stuff out and you were like, what, 14, 
years old. Yeah, 13, at this 14. Stage. Yeah, yeah, 14 cool. was around so, the age that I started getting organized with it. Yeah, I mean, you started practicing, started building up the skills. How old you when you? How old were you when you thought that you kind of like had a hold of it? Like, yeah, I can, I can scream. And I'm, uh, uh, not that I was correct because I definitely had a lot more to learn. But the mm. point that I felt like I had a lot of control of it was probably like around 15, maybe, yeah. maybe even like late 14. Because like, it's it's hard. For you me were pretty to remember quick with it. Yeah, mm. like I, I actually did have a fairly natural knack for it. Like, I'm not. That it's like the only thing that I've ever been like naturally good at without having to try too hard. So like that, I, I don't mean, mind look, talking myself up a little bit about that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I also peaked in high school, dude. It's good. <laughs> there we go. That's it's all good. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So by about the age of fifteen, uh, I'd I had a well enough grasp of it that I felt like confident. Uh, I I put together a band with a couple of my mates. Uh, my mate Mitch, I went to primary school with him and he'd been playing guitar at that point for a while. So, I got him, mm. got uh, one of the guys from my home group in high school purely because I knew he, he, know how to, he knew how to play drums. Didn't yeah, know him yeah. all that well. He's it's actually like- one of my best friends now. He's like one of my <laughs> oldest friends. And that, that, was, that was how we oh, met. It was that. just like, hey, you like Parkway Drive? Oh, yeah, I don't mind Parkway Drive. Yeah, let, let, uh, you're, you play drums, yeah? Yeah, yeah, man. Cool. Uh, learn romance with de- romance is dead. And do you have a shed that we can play in? <laughs> it's then- like I, I don't think you understand this yet, but you are in my band. Yeah, you're in my you, band like, now. You, you are in my band. Yeah. Yeah. So we. So then we used to do that like once a month. It was like me, Mitch, and Sam would hang out in Sam's shed. Sam would uh, play drums. Mitch would be playing his like hundred dollar Strat knockoff going through the amp it Ooh, came yeah. with, tuned down to drop B. It was it was oh, magical. It was absolutely disgusting. magical. Yeah. And so this it, was like your first band, really. Pretty much, yeah. And that that was a thing for like pretty much all of high school. Cool, cool. So did so tell me about like that that time period, um, you know, playing music with those guys, you know. Did you ever start writing songs or was that just purely just getting together and jamming? For us as a group, it was just mm. jamming, like we just learned covers. Uh yeah. I, I did start writing my own lyrics. Uh, around that time, maybe a bit before, uh, which I'm glad I started early, even when we weren't recording or like writing full songs or anything, because like I was like like most people are when they start doing a new skill. I was not very good at it, so by the time I actually mm. started applying those lyrics to real songs that had been like somewhat written, uh, that that was at a point where they were actually usable. Uh, but yeah, with those guys, it was always just let's learn, let's learn a new cover, let's just fuck around, playing shit in the shed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, when about did that wrap up, and when when did you kind of move on from that, and what did that look like? Well, so we got to a point where it became really difficult to just organize because most of the guys who were involved were realistically it seemed like they were only involved because i kind of asked them to be so like we had asked forced you know yeah forced uh blackmailed we had yeah, uh, <laughs> we had um we had a guy come in who was playing bass then we had another guy come in who was playing rhythm guitar and uh both of those guys i mean the the guy we got on bass we we had a few different people come through but the uh, the guy we ended up having the most time with was probably the most reliable member 
of our pseudo band, including me. Like he, I think he showed up to more jams than I did. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then we had, um, yeah, we had a mate that I happened to run into at a gig that I had gone to primary school with and hadn't seen since like grade five. And yep. he he had transformed into a full on scene kid. So I run into him at uh, run into him at an OLP gig. I think it was one of the invasion fests at OLP, and he was all like, "Oh fuck, is that Tom? Hey man, <laughs> and I play guitar now." And then, so he joined the band, and uh, yeah. But then we got to like year twelve, and we started getting like exams and stuff, and it stopped being a priority in all of our lives, mm. and. Beyond that point, it just kind of fizzled out. Like, no one ever made a point of saying, like, I'm not doing this anymore. We yeah. all just, like, stopped playing music when we were hanging out and just hung out. Which, you know, it, it was it kind of sucked. But, like, at the same time, I had yeah. some other outlets by that point. So, I think we all did. So, like, that yeah. was still, like, a really important step in us, like, growing as artists. But, like, it, yeah, that... That I, I will always treasure what I call Sam's shed days because that was yeah. just like we, none of us had a fucking clue what we were doing. So it was just yeah. like really new ground. We had a really great time. Uh, like I fondly remember all of that. No, that, that's awesome, man. Like, and it's like it's th- those kinds of things which really kind of you know prepare you for like you know what the next chapter is going to be, which is kind of where I want to go next. So. From here, I'm guessing this project ended and something else started because, you know, you would have had some kind of itch to keep on doing vocals. So, what was the next creative endeavor and how did you get from, you know, finishing up with those guys to starting up this this next thing? Well, so, the next thing, I uh, my, my uh, memory of, like, the specific chain of events is a little bit foggy. Mm. Um, I do remember that, like, a little while after I left high school or graduated high school, uh, I had a friend hit me up. Uh, he was playing bass in a band at the time. And uh, we had gone to, like, primary school together. We never really spoke all that much, but, like, uh, I-, I knew who he was and all that stuff. And I'd, uh, in the past, I'd posted a few, like, vocal covers. I did. I was one of those guys who did the crappy, like, iPhone recording of the uh, music coming over the loudspeaker and screaming over it with no mixing. It was great. Hell yeah. YouTube used Hell to be such yeah. a wild west for vocal covers. But, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so I got into, I got right into that and he must have seen one of them because he was like, hey, man, uh, we just had our vocalist leave the band uh, a few months ago and we've been struggling to find a replacement. How would you feel about coming and doing an uh, audition? And I was like, fuck yeah, that sounds sick. I wanted to be in a proper band for ages. Uh, so... He got me in. We all went to one of the guys' houses in, like, about half an hour away from my place. Uh, I did an absolutely terrible audition because I only learned, like, one of the three songs that they sent to me, but they mustn't have found anyone better to fill my shoes. So, <laughs> about two or three months down the track, they must they decided, hey, this is clearly the best that we can find, so let's go, let's just go with Tom. And then I was in that band for about... I want to say two years might have mm. been a bit give or take. Like a lot of mm. the people I know now, including you, I met from that band. So this was prestigious of mine then, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm actually impressed that you remember that. That's yeah, that was the band. So it was me and uh, Toby was my mate who got me in the band. He's actually like moved on to really big things. He's uh, 
one of the two bassists in the Omnific. The Omnific, yeah, yeah. yeah they dude. are absolutely sick. Uh, get, go uh-huh. give them a listen if you like that kind of instrumental proggy stuff. It's all like bass guitar oriented, so it's a bit more interesting than a lot of similar projects that yeah, I've really cool heard band. recently. Uh, he's Even also if you're in not band- into like... Oh, sorry, go on. No, it's all good. Uh, he's also in a band called Annihilist, which we've gigged with a few times, and they're also sick. Uh, hoping they get a bit more love because they definitely deserve it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, and then there was a few other guys in the band. I don't think any of them are active in the scene. Like, the, but like one of them went back to school. Um, couple, oh, couple of them went to school. I don't know about the other one. Long story short, I was in that band for a couple of years, and it got to the point where we were writing stuff, and I wasn't cutting it. Uh, it was a combination of a few different things. Not all of them were my fault, but most of them were. Uh, I got, I basically, I got to the point where I wasn't practicing enough and I was really depressed and they could tell and it was really affecting my productivity. So, uh, they ended up cutting me loose, which ended up being a good thing really, because that yeah. freed me up to focus more on some of my, uh, some of my more like solo projects and not that much of that ever really saw the light of day, but I think that was a pretty important step in my growth. And I'm still really grateful to those guys for giving me that opportunity because it did help me a lot. So, what what were some of those hurdles, if you're comfortable talking about it? Like, what were some of those hurdles and how many of those did you end up addressing personally and uh, how did you overcome those if if there were things you actually addressed? So, well, a big thing for it was like, I, I make no secret of the fact that my mental health has always been pretty shabby. Uh, I've been formally and informally diagnosed with a whole bunch of shit i'm not super into labels but like the basic gist of it is that i've i do have some form of clinical depression and that has that was like probably the main thing that was holding me back uh it still does affect my life obviously because that's not really the sort of thing that ever goes away but like when i was at that age i was much worse you weren't you weren't taking care of it no and i because i didn't really know how and i uh yeah, I it it basically just immobilized me. Like I wasn't able to practice. I I didn't practice enough as it was, and that basically stopped me from practicing at all. Uh, I wasn't just doing screams in that band. I was also doing cleans, and my clean singing needed a lot of work that I wasn't willing or able to put into it. Uh, yeah, that that was honestly like if that wasn't like all of the issues summarized, that was at least the source of all of them. Uh, I had a lot of weird shit going on in my life behind the scenes, like classic girl troubles and family troubles. And, uh, it was, I I was finding it difficult to find any time to like de-stress. So when I was finding that time to just kind of relax and try and forget about, you know, shit that was happening throughout the week that was really getting to me. That was time that was being taken away from me working on my craft. Yeah, and then and, and then you have the guilt set in, and then you know, just and it, it's just a, vicious a cycle. self-fulfilling prophecy. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. once that started, I found it really difficult to pull myself out of it, and as a result, uh, I just my uh, the amount of care that I had and the amount of effort that I was putting in just plummeted. And it, yeah, it would have been really obvious. I actually feel. As, as much as I don't blame myself for it, because I think that was something that kind of needed to happen for me to understand that in the future, uh, I do feel a bit guilty for the other guys in that band because I probably, as much as 
some of the stuff that happened there wasn't a hundred percent on me. Uh, a lot of it did come back to me and my failure to like manage my own mental health effectively. Uh, mm. So yeah, I, I do sometimes think about that and how it might have been a bit better off if they'd not chosen me as their vocalist. But at the same time, I wouldn't be where I am now without that experience. Yeah. So, so before we move on, we're going to come back to this in a sec. But before we move on, with this, with this first band, so I believe you guys recorded some music. Is that right? We did. So, uh, we before I joined, they had an EP written. It was like a four or five track EP, and they had actually released that. Uh, with their old vocalist. And after I'd been in the band for a while, we were like, hey, we better make some new music because we don't have any music with Tom on it. And all of the old music was, it was a lot more metalcore. The stuff, they were wanting to go into more of like a prog direction. So we decided we were going to record a a four-track EP, uh, completely self-produced. Two of the songs were reimagined versions of songs that were on the old EP. And two of the songs were new ones that we hadn't released yet. Mm. Uh, And we tracked, like, all of it, and the guitarist was meant to do all the mixing. He was going to be, like, the the engineer. So, Toby was producing. Uh, Well, Toby and Matt, one of the guitarists, were both producing, and then Matt was going to be the engineer. And I don't quite remember what happened. I don't want to speak on his behalf. I think... I think personal circumstances got in the way of him being able to do that. So that kind of ground to a halt, uh, you know, about, I'd say about two months after we stopped, after we finished tracking, he, I I vaguely remember him saying that we needed to retrack some stuff, but it just never really happened. And then before we knew it, I was out of the band anyway. So, right. uh, But that was, that was your first foray into like, kind of like a, uh, I don't really want to say studio setting because it was a different. It was like you know, a bunch of uh, like you know, inexperienced young guys trying to figure it out for themselves. Well, that's what it sounds like at least. Well, but, Toby, um, that was your first experience. To- yeah, of course. Like Toby and Matt actually did have like a pretty good idea of what they were doing. They just didn't have a whole lot of experience. Like Toby's actually produced a fair bit of stuff now. I think he mm. like does that fairly frequently. I'm I, not at the moment, obviously, because of the Rona, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure I, I'm, I know I've got at least one CD on my bookshelf that he engineered. So, mm. like, uh, that was still early stages for him, though. So, yeah, we were all yeah. fairly inexperienced. And it was not that far off what recording in the future was like for me. But, like, that was mm. definitely different in the sense that we didn't have as much of a firm grasp on what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. So, what what were you taking away from that? Did did you feel like you learnt skills that are, you know, necessary to be, you know, the artist that you are today there? Uh, and, and what do those skills look like? I, I definitely did pick some of them up. Uh, one of them, which can I know can be a bit of a bitter pill to swallow for particularly vocalists, is uh, learning to be told that I did a shit take and not taking it personally. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, I, man. especially because I was doing cleans, like, and like I said, my cleans needed a lot of work and I didn't get to put that work in before we went into that whole like studio setting. So, mm. uh, I spent a lot of time being told that I needed to do better with the takes for my cleans. And that did take a while for me to adjust to, but I think that's a really important skill. 
uh, maybe not skill, but like just piece of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, if you are a vocalist going into a studio, you are going to have to track parts multiple times. You're never or almost never going to nail it the first time. Some people was that have a, a really- surprise to you? Not really. It was just, it was a bit of a shock to the system, but not in the sense that I was surprised. It was more just like, because I was struggling so badly with that mental health shit at the time, it just kind of compounded. So, mm. like, you know, I got told, I, I might have been told one too many times that I was doing a bad job. And then that just, I just kind of internalized that, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so shit. I'm such a shit vocalist. And it took me a while to. Uh, unlearn that pattern of thought i i think you should definitely relearn that just <laughs> as a friend oh who's saying i ever forgot <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just, and just, just stuff like general studio etiquette like if you're tracking stuff if, or if sorry if someone else is tracking stuff and you're not don't make noise that probably sounds obvious when I'm saying it, but like that's something that a lot of people seem to forget about when they're in a studio setting, myself included. I'm definitely guilty of still doing that from time to time. Yeah. Well, Matt, how can you crack jokes and, you know, listen to your friend record his part at the same time? It's not that, possible. That's exactly right. Like, how am I supposed to watch TikTok compilations without hearing the fucking, without hearing the volume? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. I always bring headphones just to that situation. Oh, I specifically uh, TikTok compilation. Oh, I keep forgetting, and I need to stop forgetting to do that because, <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, so moving on from there. So uh, you finish things up with prosthesis of mind, um, and then uh, you know you kind of left uh, due to you know mental health reasons and just you know not being the right person with the band at that point in time. So. Leaving the band, I'm imagining, would have eased things to your mental health, but maybe it didn't. It, it did and it didn't. How, how did that affect yeah, you? Yeah, uh, like it It was a lot of stress lifted off me because I was no longer feeling that, you know, drive to uh, constantly be improving myself as much as that's not yeah. something we should ever really have, like stop doing as artists. I wasn't feeling the pressure as much and that really did help me. Um I did have that feeling that I had failed and that didn't help me because it was like, you know, I've been, I, I wasn't so much kicked out of the band as I was, you know, nicely asked to leave. And uh, yeah. as much as that w went a lot better than it could have, uh, I, there was still a part of me that was left thinking that I'd done something wrong and that, yeah. which, you know, maybe I did, uh, but there, yeah, that that was something that really set itself in. I mean, the the lack of not having to go to practice and uh, not having to put time yeah. aside to uh, practice, like practice on my own, was definitely something that helped. Yeah. But but the, the the relief of pressure and and you know the the you know reduced amount of stress related to doing the band was, you know, that those benefits outweighed, you know, the the negatives. So you 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 leaving the band was probably the best decision for you at the time, would you say? I, I would definitely say so, yeah. Like I well, that's really good. Yeah. I, I'm grateful for the time that I spent in the band because it taught me stuff about like the live the the way live shows work and how the industry as a whole kind of works in Melbourne. But like, yeah, it was definitely not the right timing. I may have been the right person for that band if I joined at a later part of my life. But I didn't, mm. and that's that. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, 
I think it all worked out for the best because, you know, when we get up to, you know, where you are now, I think, you know, it, it definitely worked out the best way. I sure, I I sure hope so. <laughs> dude, dude, 100%. But, um, okay, so, you know, you left that band, you, you took some time to focus on yourself and your own projects and, and that was really how you kind of got past a lot of obstacles in your life was was, you know, handling those situations without that added pressure. When did music uh, kind of come back to being the forefront for you? How much how much time passed? Uh, and honestly, not a whole lot of time. So, like, uh, while I was still in that band, I started kind of, like, delving into writing and recording stuff in, like, by myself in my house. Just, like, really basic stuff. I bought a really basic shitty two-channel interface that I'm currently using to record my voice as we speak. Uh, for about a hundred bucks back, and so and this was back in like 2012 or 2014 or something. So yeah, this yeah really basic setup. But I I got that. I had some questionably attained copy of FL Studio that I got off a mate, and I just started <laughs> uh, I just started messing around with like recording guitar straight in and uh, mucking around with programming drums. And before I knew it, I was like writing full songs and. Mm. As much as, like, it may have changed by now, I wouldn't recommend anyone use FL Studio for that because it's it's a great little program for producing back, but basically any kind of music that's not based in real instruments. Like, if you're doing a lot of, like, programming and electronic and stuff, music. yeah, it's perfect for that. I love it for that. But for, yeah. like, traditional instrument-based music, don't. <laughs> Just don't do it. I feel like I, I kind of hindered my growth in that respect. But, like, I ended up... Yeah. Uh, I started a side project and I uploaded a couple of demos onto my SoundCloud. And that was how I ended up being found for my current band. Was we... um Back when those, like, Musos Wanted Melbourne groups were still, like, reasonably heavily used, I... Mm posted a link to one of my demo tracks and was like, hey, this is just something I threw together in my basement, uh, which is like the, the sonic equivalent of my butt. Like, it just sounds horrible, but like that, that it'll at least give you an idea of what my talents are as a vocalist. And uh, so, I think, I, I think it was only like a couple of years that I wasn't in a band, maybe a bit less. Uh, yeah. But like that whole time, I but was. You were still you were still working on music, but it was much more um, organic. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and there was no. Pressure. I was following yeah. my own path a lot more, and I did have like friends around me who were like helping me with it. Um, and I did, mm. I do like owe a lot to them. Uh, but yeah, that it was definitely more about following my own path and making the kind of music that I wanted to make and that I could make with my constrained abilities as an instrumentalist. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's actually, like, I've just been working on this little ISO project where I'm actually re-recording a couple of the songs that I wrote back then. Uh, I've still got the demos, they're private, but I've got them on my SoundCloud still, and I was listening back to one of them the other day, and I'm like, what? But upload this. It's like, ain't this? Bro, you gotta gotta (laughs) chuck us that link, bro. You gotta chuck us that link. You you will get that link. You will get that link. Oh, yeah. Just remind me. (laughs) I might forget. That's awesome. I I love that, though. Like... Yeah, definitely. I I really like the idea of you, you know, just naturally letting letting the the skills that you need develop and, and let the, you know, not let the passion die and, and giving it a chance to kind of breathe a bit. So I think I think that's really, you know, like 
it may not be something you, that you did consciously, but it was definitely, you know, the right, the right choice because, um, you know, I, I, you know, you love it now. So it's like a hundred percent, you know, you could, you could have killed your passion for it. You could have, you know, become really bitter and, uh, you know, you made the right decision there. So in, in your old band, um, Prostasis, you played some shows and stuff. Um, what was like the biggest show you ever did with those guys? Honestly, I, can't really remember. Uh, we did. Yeah. Do you guys play many? We we played a few. I think I want to say we played about mm. ten shows. Might have been a few more, or yeah. a few less. But um, most of them were pretty small. A lot of them were, were with just like our mates from other bands who were mm. similarly sized. I don't yeah. recall us playing any shows with any like really big names or like even like just yeah. It was just it was just a bunch of mates. Pretty. It was much, just a lot of like up. yeah, a lot of like pub shows. Um, we never toured or anything. It was all just around Melbourne and the outer suburbs. Uh, the coolest thing we did was we played a show at the middle. Oh, sorry, not the middle. Was it the middle? The one in Fentry Gully. I think it's the middle. Hang on. Oh, yeah, another one you're talking the, about. The I one that has the BWS called, attached the... to it. Yeah, like we, because yeah, yeah. that was a building I'd driven past every other day for almost my entire life. And then we went in there and played <laughs> a show. It was really cool. But um yeah yeah feel like a rock star for like twenty seconds for like, until yeah, you realize you're standing while I'm, in like the local fucking pub. while I'm <laughs> doing bree breeze for a bunch of forty year old dudes watching the footy it was <laughs> yeah it was a cool experience and um but that yeah, was 100%. like most of all of our gigs were just like that we didn't really do anything super strenuous yeah. okay cool so and then. You know, you got hit up to to come on board for uh, the motion below. I know a little bit of this story, um, but you want to you know talk about you know just how that all came about. You know what that interaction was, and um, you know how you got how you kind of got settled into that band. So yeah, when I was uh, when I was producing my own stuff, uh, as I said before, I my skill as a instrumentalist is fairly limited. I have been playing guitar for quite a while now, but I've never been like super strenuous with like my practice regiment or anything like that. So my skill level's not that high, which is fine. Like I typically can play well enough to satisfy my own needs, but like it got to a point where I was recording this stuff and I'm like, hey, I want this to sound better and I'm not going to be able to make it sound better by myself unless I spend like a year straight just practicing guitar and not recording it. So, I thought I I was ready to jump back into being in a band. I hadn't been in a band for a little while, and I'm like, you know what? This is this is what I want. I had I had a few friends who started a band, and they didn't have. I, th- I think this was when I was still in Proth, but like they uh, didn't have a dedicated vocalist at the time, and they somehow managed to get a gig without a vocalist. So I literally did a set with them that was like. 20 minutes it was supposed to be like a half hour set we barely made 20 minutes it might have even been less than that and i just like made up lyrics and stuff and i was like that was a lot heavier than the stuff i was playing with prosthesis it was like very more it's more like beat down kind of stuff where i was able to flex my screams a bit more and i was like you know what this is this is cool i want to do more of this and then you know i was out of prof for a while so i um i took one of those songs that i recorded and uh I posted it in a Facebook group just saying, hey, guys, uh, this is this is me. I want to rejoin a band, yep. preferably something in the veins of like, you know, melodic hardcore, post-hardcore, maybe metalcore, if it's not like super 
chuggy breakdowny stuff. I'd prefer something a bit more melodic. Mm. And Tyler, uh, who was the guitarist at the time at TMB, uh, sent me messages like, "Hey man, uh, me and the boys in my band have listened to your demo, and uh, how would you feel about coming and doing an audition?" And I said yes straight away, not realizing that they all lived in the northern suburbs, and I live in. I was living out in Belgrave, Tacoma, with no driver's license, so I had to, <laughs> I had to go. Hell had yeah! Had to take two trains out to Coburg. We did a session. It was like an hour and a half minimum. Yeah, it was about two hours to get there, and um, we, they had not put any vocals to any of the stuff that they'd written yet. So we just ran two covers like a bunch of times. It was "My Curse" by Killswitch Engage, which. Any, oh, yeah. Anyone who's seen us live, we used to play that like every show because it got way more of a rise out of the crowd than any of our own songs did. And then the other one was um, The Hardest Part by Being as an Ocean. And mm. I'm still low-key salty with Aiden because I think the only reason we've never played that cover live is because he finds the drums really boring, which is fair enough. It's like very basic, but like, fuck, that's a good song. I would love to play that live. That's I really so like our version good. of it. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to record it. If the boys were down for that, that'd Did be- Did Ryan sing on it? Uh, yeah. Ryan was singing on it. And then we even harmonized. Like that was- uh, Oh, bro. It sounded so cool. I was so- I was super stoked with that. And then Aiden's like, no, nah, nah, we're not playing that. I- I'm just doing snare rolls for fucking that's like fine, two That's fine. That's fine. Just program the drums. Okay. He doesn't need to hear about it. That, that's fine. it. Yeah. Well, that's- Yeah. That's how we- If we were going to record it at the moment- grab a smoker, turn on the laptop. Yep. <laughs> Go go have a pint. You'll be right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I went out to Coburg. We um we jammed those two songs a few times, and uh, they were fairly happy with my performance. But uh, during the first, the very first run we did of my curse, I pushed myself really hard, and that was the first time I'd mm. done like full on like live vocals in over a year, well over a year. And I felt this like pain in my abdomen and um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really pay any attention to it. And then at the end of the night, I ended up missing the last train. So, my dad came and picked me up from Coburg, fucking legend. Uh, And Shout out, dad. Shout out, dad. He's definitely not listening to this, but shout out anyway. (laughs) Uh, I basically, I gave myself a hernia. I pushed myself so hard during that audition that I gave myself a para-umbilical hernia, so a small hernia right above my belly button on top of my diaphragm, which, if you're not a vocalist, that's like the vocalist muscle. (laughs) That's like the muscle you use to regulate your airflow. So, I'm like, what the fuck? I just auditioned for this band. It all went so well and I've injured myself. Um, I remember remember at your EP launch, like for... um what was the name of your first uh, Reform Converge. I was actually just yeah, about Reform to bring Converge, that up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, there's this photo floating oh, around dude. of me with no shirt and I'm wearing this like manky looking white girdle and that's like, a, that's a hernia compression belt. I'm not sure if this is medically backed or if this is just something that I came up with, <gasps> but um, I have to wear that every time I perform because I've still got the hernia. Technically, it's actually a different one because I had the hernia fixed up in surgery mm. But they didn't do it right, and it ended up another one ended up opening right above the where the old one was. So yeah. I just I just wear that on stage now. I'm probably gonna have to have surgery again for that sometime in the future. Not in a rush, but 
that's yeah, yeah that's something that's gonna have to happen. And yeah, I yeah. I mean, COVID's a good time. I mean, like think about uh, it. I was thinking about it. The the issue is that I would have to go public because there's no way I can afford mm. private healthcare. And um, they uh they have like a really long waiting list. The original yeah. time I got the surgery, it took me about a year. And then yeah. when I I did originally have it booked in to get it redone and they kept putting it on days that I couldn't do it. And then it ended up getting to the point where I'd said no too many times and rescheduled too many times. So I got taken off the waiting list. And yeah, so I'm going to have to go through that whole system again, which I'm really not happy about, but like, that's just public health. Yeah. Wait, wait till you're 40. Wait, wait till that's I'm fine. 40 and it's debilitating and then I might do something about it. <laughs> Yeah, there becomes a point with pain where it's it's no longer you know a, a physical feeling. It's just a state of being. It's just, and, it's just life. Know, once once you once you land there, bro, you'll be yeah, fine. I'll be sweet. I mean, by then I probably won't even care about it anymore. But <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, when it, uh, I was obviously a lot more freaked out about that when it first happened than I am now. So I mm. said to the boys, "Hey, probably best that I don't keep doing vocals until I get this fixed." Um. I remember going in for surgery and then I woke up uh, like a cup, few hours after they'd finished the surgery and I was like loopy from all the fucking endone that they'd put me on. And I'm like, and I jumped on my phone and the first thing I do is like I go straight to fucking Tyler and I'm like, hey man, I just got my surgery. You guys still need a vocalist? And he's like, um, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> You want, like, when, when are we doing this? I, I, it's only going to be like six weeks and then I can go back to doing vocals. He's like, oh, shit. And yeah, ended up doing another audition, which I didn't completely KO myself at. So that, and the rest is yeah. history. And that's, that was the motion below. I've been in that band since, I think technically it's been five years, but we've only really been gigging for like three of those years. And mm. yeah, it's, it's been great. I've had a great time. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, I remember when you first announced you're in that band, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's that actually feels much more of a good fit for you as well." Like, because I heard you, you know, in Prestasis, whatever, and I saw you doing that. I was like, "Yeah, this is this is the right spot for you to be." Um, so when you came into that band, uh, there was like um, that EP that you did, and then I, ca- I can't remember correctly. I think there was a couple singles. There was a single, uh, yes. Yeah, worm, worm tongue. tongue. Yeah, yeah. That's we one. don't play that song then, anymore. <laughs> yeah, we don't play it anymore because okay. it's like uh, spicy. We were orig- we were originally going in a different direction with our style, and that w- we thought we mm. were going to be going a bit more thrashy. And that song yeah. is like really thrashy, and yeah. nothing that we've recorded since is like sounded anything like it. So we just like don't that. play it. Yeah, I um real quickly want to talk about the the first EP. So when you you know went to record that, um, who did you record that with? So we went with uh, Chris Thamelko from uh, Monolith Studios. Uh, right, he's also in a couple of bands, uh, Orpheus Omega and uh, Eye of the Enemy. Absolute legend. I love him to death. He's an amazing bloke. I haven't seen him for ages. So hopefully mm. I get hopefully that will be someone that I get to see again once ISO is no longer a thing. But um. So he had already, with the guys, they had actually already recorded a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know if they'd done the whole EP worth of instrumentals. I feel like it was at least like 60% finished. And um, 
they'd tracked all the drums. They'd done most of the guitars. I think I could be a little bit wrong about that. But um, yeah. basically, they had a five-track EP ready to go when I joined the band. All I had to do was uh, write lyrics and like figure out my parts. There was one song that they had done with our mate Grimace. He was originally slated to be the vocalist, and he I, I don't know if it was like... A, I think he just realised that it wasn't uh, something that he was able to do at that point in his life. I'm not 100%. I'd have to ask him again. But um, yeah, he stepped down, and that was when they found me. So, I, one of our songs, um, Empty Head, Empty Heart, on Reform Converge, that one was more or less written by him, the lyrics and the vocal parts, and I tweaked them a little bit, changed some of the words, and the rest of them I wrote from scratch. Uh mm. Ryan and Chris worked out the melodies for the clean parts, but it was all my lyrics, which was kind of weird because, <laughs> like, they just said, like, oh, okay, we've had, like, these five songs written for the past, like, two years or something. Uh, put some put some vocals on it. <laughs> and now I've got, like, half of the credit for that EP, even though <laughs> most of it was written before I joined the band. <laughs> no, that's fine. You're the vocalist. You're the lead singer. You take all the that's credit. It. Don't don't spare a single fucking morsel, my yeah. friend. It's all it's all yours for the taking. If I if if my band ever gets famous, then you, you'll know that there'll just be a time where like all the all the like all the diehard fanboys will be like, oh, that's fucking Tom's EP. Tom Tom was the reason that EP happened purely because I'm the fucking front man. <laughs> it's gonna be like a Ronnie Radke uh... situation. <laughs> hey, don't don't talk shit on the king, okay? I, I'm not talking shit. That's that's <laughs> just how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, that recording process. Uh, what was different between the first time that you did it and this time? Now being with someone who's you know a professional um, producer. Yeah. So the immediate. Uh, noticeable difference was that Chris's setup was, uh, for lack of better terminology, far less ghetto. Uh, he had really nice studio monitors, all this outboard gear, like compressors and EQs and stuff like that, a whole bunch of amps, uh, heaps of microphones, just like typically what you'd expect from a professional recording studio. And uh, that mm. was something that we weren't really, that I hadn't really experienced properly yet. Uh, I did do like a audio engineering course when I was in high school. So, it's it was like the closest thing to that. But um, yeah, we that was the biggest difference for me was like having an actual professional setup. There was acoustic treatment in his studio. There was, um, you know, all this memorabilia from other clients that he'd worked with. And it, it was just a really cool experience. It's like, okay, this is what it's like to actually be in the industry somewhat with someone who yeah. actually has experience. First real taste. Yeah. And it was it was yeah. awesome. Like so um and so for you particularly, what what was the difference in in the process for you? Like as opposed to the first time around, you know, recording your vocals and um, you know, how how you interacted with the producer and how you, you know, um kind of delivered on the project. Well the the big thing was that I got a lot more positive feedback. <laughs> uh, not that I didn't get positive feedback before, but like he actually hadn't heard my voice before, like my uh, screaming voice. So when I started like uh, attacking the parts, he was like, "Oh shit, okay, nice." And <laughs> uh, just uh, the way that we ran through, I was expecting to have to have to have to do a lot more, like 
one take kind of recording where it was it's not necessarily like that if like anyone mm-hmm. who's ever really done that kind of work in a studio would know that it's not as simple as just like turn the microphone on and just do the whole song in one go you don't have to do it that way anymore so that was surprising uh as far as the general process goes, there actually wasn't a whole lot different. Like, um, it was still a lot of time just sitting there silently waiting for Ryan to do his parts or for uh, Tyler to do his parts. Although, Ty- I think at that point, Tyler's parts were more or less done. Again, my memory's quite foggy. But uh, yeah, the yeah. process was remarkably similar. Uh, it just felt a lot more professional because we were in that dedicated the environment. environment. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. So, moving on from there, you guys did um, the single next. Did you do that again with uh, with Chris? Uh, the single... Okay, so that was a weird one. We actually... We recorded that by ourselves uh, in Ryan's house, in his bedroom. Mm. <laughs> so, we... Apart from the drums, I believe the drums were programmed. I think we used, like, uh, Superior or something. But um, we recorded all the guitars, bass, and vocals in Ryan's room, uh... And we just sent it off to Chris for mixing and mastering. So, he mixed and mastered the single, but all of the actual stems were recorded in Ryan's fucking bedroom onto his, like, 10-year-old iMac. It was great. (laughs) Um, That sounds like a far too familiar experience. Yeah, well, it was actually... It was cool because, like, that was... We also wrote the song in that space. So, it was very Mm. seamless. Like, we went from writing this song to, like, actually recording it and then sending it off to have it professionally mixed like all in the same two-week period that was all spent in that room which yeah Yeah. it was cool it was really cool i just um cool yeah i I just i I still find it funny that we went down that path style wise because like if you listen to that song it's still on our band camp and youtube and stuff uh it's very very different like if you were to Ignore that song going from our first EP to our second EP. It feels like a pretty uh, realistic difference as, like, growth goes for artists. But then if you're going from, like, the first EP to that song to the second EP, it's like the first EP was, like, in the middle. And then uh, that single was, like, we went to the left stylistic-wise. And then with the next EP, we went back to the start and then to the right again. So, it was like we did this big loop. It was really strange. But... Good experience overall. Mm, awesome, awesome. So, what what came after that? Because I remember after you guys did that single, it was quiet for a bit. Yeah, so, around that time, we uh, we were introduced by... So, uh, the, the story, as I understand it, was that Aiden, our drummer, was in a pub somewhere around his house in the northern suburbs. And he bumped into Mason, the vocalist for A Burden. And uh, a couple of days prior, Ryan had gone on an... Uh, invite to like spree and invited a whole bunch of industry people to like our band's page on Facebook. And Mason was one of them. And much to my surprise, he actually listened to some of our music, which that I was like dumbfounded that he didn't just immediately write us off for, <laughs> for, for pestering him. But um, he recognized Aiden and he actually walked up to him. He was like, Hey man, mm. you're, you're from the motion below. And he was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Uh, he basically said he wanted to help us get shit done. So, he put us onto the guys who he'd worked with through a burden, which is Evan and Ash from the Loud Noise Estate. And mm. long story short, we've been working with them ever since. We've done 
all of our stuff since we did Worm Tongue, everything after that has been through them. And that's been like such an awesome experience. But like, because yeah. we spent a lot of time- You found the right team. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're just, those yeah. guys are great. We went from uh, not really knowing where we were going to spending a whole bunch of time pre-proing and messing around with some ideas. And then we ended up writing, a, writing an EP, which came out like a year, uh, a year later, a year after all that other stuff had happened. Okay, so the so after Worm Tongue, you guys kind of didn't do anything for about a year, and then that's when you kind of started with Loud Noise Estate, and you started writing uh, your second EP, Corona's Complex. I, I would say we started. It was actually it wasn't a year later that we started doing it. It was more like a year later that we actually started putting it out because I think okay, uh, the first two singles off that EP were released about a year ago to the date. It's actually okay. Cronus Complex's year anniversary in about a week, which Hell is yeah. really cool. I'm I'm a bit stoked, but uh, yeah, most of the other stuff, uh, yeah, we we we'd been working on it for a while. It just took us ages to release because we were waiting for the right time, hmm. and the right time never really came. So we ended up just biting the bullet and yeah. doing it. We were sitting yeah. on that EP for like a good seven to nine months before it saw the light of day, and that was really painful like uh, have you have you experienced dude, I, that before dude we will have a conversation about this after we're done here but yes yeah, okay i yes. think i know i think i know what you're talking about but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so we sat on that for ages we could never we couldn't come up with the right time and then we ended up just doing it and that was great we had a great experience with that uh first show we played since that uh we released any of those songs we played with like uh uh atlas visioner and blacklist that was mm. one of the best shows we've ever played just in terms of like the every band on the bill was awesome uh yeah it was just a great time great way to break the seal because we didn't play gigs for a while and yeah, and it was kind of like a turning of a new page, did you feel like? Yeah, absolutely, because like going from the first EP to the second EP, the first EP was very like, we're going to write a metalcore record. And it was very much like what you'd expect from like the early 2010s. It's like very Amity Affliction with breakdowns kind of thing. And then yeah. uh, the second EP was still obviously there was stylistic influences but it was a lot more our thing than just like making it sound like someone else yeah. and then we I, I agree 100% I feel like from the first EP you guys had an idea of what you wanted to sound like and then second EP you you really put your personalities and and you made it yours it was it it, it like there was definitely like potential demonstrated on the first EP but that like on that second EP you guys 100% delivered like the goods that I mean, like it shows because the the numbers on on that second EP absolutely destroyed your first EP, um, and it's because it is so good, man, so Thanks, good. Man. I loved it. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad there's people who like it. Uh, it actually that 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 sounds bad. It did get realistically, it got pretty positive reception, just like not that widespread because we're still pretty small. But um, yeah, yeah, like that's something that. Ash and Evan really like told us right from the beginning that they tend to kind of specialize in helping bands find their sound. And they mm. absolutely came through for that because, yeah, that 
I, I can't express how different we were going to sound if we hadn't started seeing them. We uh, yeah. we were going very much more metal, and that they yeah. brought us back to like core, and even threw in some pop influences, and it was yeah. very different. But it was like a very welcome change. And that was your guys' first time really jumping into pre-production as, like, you know, a real foundational part of the process, right? Yeah, well, as a group, at least, because the first EP, I'm pretty sure that happened with the others, but I wasn't in the band by that point. And when we went into the mm. studio with Evan and Ash, uh, the lo- we'd had a, a bit of a lineup change, but, like, uh, we had that context of that past release and we were going into that pre-pro with that context in mind. And that did make things yeah. a lot different. Um, it okay. opened up a lot more possibilities and like we all had a better understanding of our creative processes. So it did, I do think it helped a lot. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just great experience really. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can't think of what to say about it. It was great. No, that, that's, that's awesome, man. So, um, okay. So tell me about the release uh, strategy that you guys had for that EP because that was pretty different to what you do with the first EP. Um, I feel like you guys had a lot more, um, I don't know, I, I guess a lot more inspiration and a lot more, uh, I don't know, a, a lot more ideas when you were putting out that second EP. So tell me about, you know, coming up with, you know, the concepts, the themes and, and how that all came together. Okay. So, uh, to explain that well, I'll go, I'll quickly go over like the first EP first. So, yeah. Uh, the f- I, as a like a lyricist, I tend to quite often fall back on just writing things that harken back to experiences that I've had within my life. Like, as much as I'm not, I'm not an old guy, and I'm not like really all that well traveled. I have I've used it as like an outlet for a lot of my issues, and uh, the first EP wasn't really all that well focused but it was a lot of me just writing lyrics about stuff that i'd wanted to write about for a long time and when we got to the next ep it was like okay i don't hate the lyrics that i wrote for the first ep but this one thematically seems like we're gonna have to spend a bit more time working out the kinks so uh again it wasn't like a super cohesive theme throughout the entire release i think we had I can't remember who it was. Someone did a write-up about the EP where they described it as a broken man reflecting on where everything went wrong. And if you look at, if I look back on my mindset at the time, that's actually not all that far off because, like, most of the songs on that EP are about just like horrible, horrible shit that happened to me and people around me. Uh, that's just been kind of mm. like fantastic turned into fantasy. Uh, yeah, like when we when we jumped into it. It was uh, very much like the guys that were producing us saying, like, this is how we're going to help you find your sound. So, we're going to take a bunch of different influences and then thematically match stuff to that, basically. So, like, um, as far as, like, the lyricism went for that, it was very similar to the first EP in the sense that, like, I was still just writing stuff like that. But, like, um, because I was actively listening to the stuff being written as it was being, like, pre-proed, I was able to paint, like, a really yep. good mental picture of, like, what we wanted the songs to be about. And, like, yeah, uh, that helped me come up with, like, themes that were appropriate for each song. Like, we, uh, one of the songs on there turned into, like, this super 
emo ballad, like this really yeah. mel- melancholic ballad that sounds huge. Jan 17th? Yeah, Jan 16th. And, yeah. uh, oh, Jan 16th, my bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I had had these lyrics written that eulogized a friend of mine who died when I was in year 12, and I'd been waiting for the right time to use those lyrics, and when I heard that pumping through the, the monitors, I'm like, okay, that's the one. I'm using the lyrics for that. Uh, and it kind of just grew from there. So that whole EP, it's a lot about, um, it, it's a lot about like self-reflection and hence why I brought in that, what that person said about how it's like wet, broken yeah. man, where did everything go wrong? It's like one of the songs is about toxic friendships that have to be cut off. One of them's about basically scene beef. And then, uh, yeah. the final two songs on that record are like, uh, Cronus Complex is like about uh, having like a really toxic uh, mentor figure, whether that's like a father or a teacher or something like that, just like basically uh, out of fear of becoming obsolete, they like try and live vicariously through their pupil or their son or their daughter or whatever. And then that leads to them imposing themselves in that person's life and causing issues for them in the long run. And then the mm. final track is like this really low down kind of brooding stripped back track about the person dealing with the aftermath of those actions and how they've affected their view of themselves. Um, and when you, when I explain it all like that, the, it doesn't really seem all that cohesive, but like the thing that I think ties it together is that it's all a lot about, like I said, just self-reflection personal experiences. and personal yeah. experiences, just like figuring out what it yeah. took to harm this protagonist if you will in that way and then working out like the full extent of the damage basically yeah i feel like i went on a bit of a no, tangent there um, but like <laughs> no 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 that, that's that's fine that's fine i mean that's what podcasts are for i guess you know you got the long format so there is room to uh to indulge to talk shit yeah. i suppose <laughs> yes to uh to continue to rattle but um okay so in you know so you've developed you know the music side of things after you develop the music, obviously, you've got to put that out into the world um, and you need to communicate that effectively. Uh, did you have much of a hand in in developing, you know, what was, you know, eventually like the music videos, the marketing, promotional material? I did, yeah. Um, a lot of the marketing did come down to me because like I kind of, I went through this period where I more or less imposed myself as like our social media coordinator, even though I did a pretty terrible job yep. of it. Uh where I was just like, oh, this is how we should be running our Facebook and our Instagram and everything. And I'm, if you guys aren't going to do it like that, then I'm just going to do it all. And I think that did harm us in a way because I took on a bit too much and it turned into us being really sporadic and not all that consistent with our social media presence, which is a problem that we honestly still struggle with. But um, mm. yeah, I came up with uh, the concept for like the album artwork and how that would feed into like the promotional work, and then I was, uh, I, I was originally going to have a much more involved uh, role with like developing the the concept for the music videos, but I, I don't, I can't remember if I just ran out of time or if I just was wrapped up in other stuff because like I just started a new job at the time, but. Uh, yeah. We ended up not really having all that much pre-written for the music videos. It was kind of like we were working with Colin Jeffs from Tennis Swords and he's awesome. So, like, when, when we got into the studio yeah. uh, or, like, the, the space, it wasn't really a studio. 
we got into the space where we were filming the video for figureheads and we didn't really have like a very solid idea of where we wanted to go with it. So he helped a lot yeah. with his creative vision and just like making stuff look cool. And then the, the, the key idea that I had was because that song is about like feeling ostracized within your community, whether that's like where you live or the music scene or whatever, uh, just feeling like you're being judged for not meeting the status quo and like being frustrated with that and retaliating. And the way mm. that we figured out how to visualize that was having someone being chased by, like, a really vague-looking figure. Um, Colin really brought that to life. Like, a lot of those... A lot of the way that that looks had nothing to do with any of us. That was... A lot of, a lot of that was on him. I don't know if he particularly mm. enjoyed that because it meant that a lot of the responsibility came down to him to make it look cool. But, like, at the same time, he's a creative and... That gave him a lot yeah, of control. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, so. that's what he's hired for, is to deliver on your ideas in a way that uh, is able to accentuate all his best parts. And sounds like he... I mean, like, I've seen the video. It's fantastic. So, you know, definitely delivered. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I, I think he did a great job. That That's the best that we possibly could have hoped for. And then the mm. one for State was a bit different because that was, like, more of just, like, a performance video. But... Uh, yeah. You know, that was pretty much all him as well. Uh, obviously, we had Martin there as well doing, like, the um, the assistant photography and stuff like that. And that... Yeah. They they worked together really well, those two. So, like, I think that helped mm. keep the creative juices flowing. But then as far yeah. as the... So... Oh, sorry, you go. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you and uh, Martin obviously have been working on the, on the last two videos together. So, is that kind of where that relationship started with you guys? Yes, absolutely. So, um, mm. I think we originally were thinking of trying to get Colin again, but Colin's an extremely busy man and uh, getting... I know that, like, guys that we know have, like, wanted to get videos done with him and had to wait quite a while just because his schedule's so packed, which happens. Uh, yeah. So, we wanted to give Martin a go because we'd seen some of the videos that he'd made for other bands and thought, like, hey, these actually look really good. And, you know, he's local. Uh, pretty sure he, pretty sure he lives, like, 10 minutes away from me. So, like, we, uh, yeah, we, we thought we'd go with him, give him a go. And his vision was admittedly a lot different, but it really suited those two singles. Um, and, you okay. know, he had he also had some really interesting perspectives to offer uh, when it came to fleshing out the story elements, because we had a lot more like in mind for the story when we went into those two singles, but he, yeah, yeah uh, that relationship definitely did start around the time that we were working together on the first two videos that we did with Colin. So, we'll definitely come back to that in a sec. So, but just to wrap up uh, with Coronas Complex. So, you know, you guys definitely, you know, had a, a bit of a creative input into like the actual, you know, the way that your your artwork was portrayed. Um, and then, you know, you kind of uh, had a, a bit of a team around you assisting with that. And you guys are kind of bouncing around with the ideas or whatever. Um, but you had some, some real powerhouses like Colin with the visuals, you know, making sure that had like a very, um, you know, developed and finished uh I guess veneer um, that you could use for your marketing material, and um, you know you had some other some other team involved. I believe you know you guys did PR as well with a PR company. Yes. And so you had yeah yeah we did we had so so yeah there was definitely a lot of people involved with making that happen. Oh, absolutely. I I yeah. something that I always kick myself for is not like accurately summing up how many people were involved, and I feel like I don't thank everyone <laughs> equally because I often forget how many people we actually had involved. But like yeah, it was a lot. 
there was a lot of people and it yeah, yeah. i i internally thankful to every single one of them because like that was a huge milestone and not just mine but the band's creative journey and we it wouldn't have happened the way it did without all of those people helping us so yeah yeah absolutely that's awesome that's awesome so moving on to closer to current day so you guys have the the latest work you've done is those last two singles um which were uh conceptually connected and it was, it was a really cool release i mean like massive fan of both of those songs like Aww. the the riff on dead ends is like fucking schmicko so Hell yeah thanks. um can you talk to me about how that process started um, and, you know, how you guys got to, you know, the idea of doing uh, the double single and just, just run me through all that. So, you know? yeah, we, we, had, we wanted to try writing something that was a little bit more narratively focused because, like I said before, most of our lyrical theming beforehand was very much based on experiences that I'd had. And not only did I want to get the other guys involved a little bit, but I also wanted to have something that was a bit more neutral ground. I didn't want to have to, you know, necessarily force anyone to come out with, like, their really personal shit so that we could use it for, you know, marketing material, essentially. But um, we ended up settling on we were going to create a character. We were going to create, like, a fairly... Uh, a, f- a fairly like relatable situation for that character, and then the the narrative was going to revolve around the character dealing with the consequences of that situation. Uh, we ended up going with uh, addiction, like addiction and uh, substance abuse stuff like that. That was basically like the hurdle Gee, that the protagonist was going to have to topple, and uh, we all kind of like banded together, and uh, a couple of us had like we'd either had personal experiences with those kinds of issues or we'd had very close friends who had had the same issues. So we had like a fair well of information to draw from. And uh, we ended up just like combining that all into a character about a guy who is really struggling to reintegrate himself into a normal life after, you know, kind of submitting himself to all of this negativity for so long. Mm. So... When did the recording um, start uh, and when did the writing start? And I'm guessing this was, again, with um, uh, Sound Estate Studios. Yeah, this was with right? Loud Noise. Yeah, uh, we- loud Noise, sorry. Uh, loud Noise <laughs> you Estate. You should be sorry. <laughs> no, we, um, yeah, so we went into the studio. I had like a very vague outline for what I wanted the story to be like, but we, I actually didn't write any lyrics because- the previous experience I'd had when we were working on Cronus Complex was that being able to hear what was going on in the other room made it a lot easier for me to come up with material on the spot and just kind of tailor fit it to the song. So, with the already established context that we had for the narrative, I was able to, with the help of a couple of the other guys, I was able to like really hone in on this idea. And uh, basically, I was writing Dead Ends, we wrote like in the studio, like, during pre-pro, we had, like, a bunch of songs pre-written, but uh, Dead Ends was basically written from scratch. And I was basically writing the lyrics for that as the song was being developed into what it became. And that really helped with the cohesiveness, I think. I also had some help yep. from Evan and from Ryan with, like, the wording and, like, the phrasing. But, um, that yeah, that was basically how that happened. Uh, Truth Hurts was more of the same. Although that was more so based off of pre-existing material, I believe. Uh, 
I, I've got to say, like, that specific situation where you're uh, listening to the music being created as you're writing the lyrics, it. I don't know if it's the same for other people, but it really puts me in a great headspace for being creative with the wording and uh, yeah. working out the narrative because, like, the context is a lot more apparent. Uh, so an issue I yeah. used to have a lot would be I'd write lyrics and they just wouldn't fit the feel of the song. And yeah, I mean, like, I hundred percent like that's not like an isolated incident. I'm I'm very similar and like a really great anecdote I like to bring up because when I found this out, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, if you've listened to the Sayosin self-titled, mm. um, like probably their like I don't know the most definitive work, I guess. Um, that the, the, almost all the lyrics were written like the day that the songs were recorded. That's awesome. I didn't know that. So, yeah, like I remember for like uh, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about voices um, and how Cove was literally like they were finishing up tracking for voices and he was in a closet and he was running out of time and just, you know, kind of rushed together this song. And that is how that song came together. And like for anyone who hasn't listened to that song, that is like the biggest, most profound chorus like i'm not like super it familiar with it's so different material but like oh dude if you listen to that song voices and you're like wait you came up with that chorus in like 15 minutes in a closet like get the fuck out of here okay <laughs> get the fuck out of here that sounds pretty cool yeah no nah, so no nah, there's definitely a lot of credit to what you're saying there like that's no isolated incident there's a lot of people that are like that and and um Obviously, there's a lot of people that aren't like that, that need the time to develop their ideas and to, you know, deliver on the creative vision that they have. But there's, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think there's any, like, difference in, in the merit of, like, someone who's, like, writing stuff on the fly as opposed to someone who's, like, sitting down and writing all that stuff. I think it's all... It's all valid. It's just different. It's all very valid. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I used to be yeah. of the mindset that, like, everything has to be premeditated for it to be genuine. But, like, that's absolutely not the case. If anything, the opposite can sometimes be true. Because you you can put yeah. so much thought into a concept that it ends up being disingenuous, but from you just overcomplicating yeah. everything. Now, I see yeah. you. And I mean, there's, there's a certain yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's like a certain like um, energy that you that you do get from the spontaneity, and like that that does communicate across. And yeah, I I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of of, of both methods, and um, yeah, obviously it worked out really well for you guys on um, on Cronus Complex, and also doing the premeditated thing worked, you know, for the, for the last two singles as well. So it's like, I don't know, get you a man that can do both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear um, that. You, I'm glad to hear that it worked out. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you're only finding out now as well that I'm telling you specifically. Yeah. This conversation is is what's reaffirming. Oh, because I I've, um, I I struggle to have like an unbiased view of my own work. Mm. Like not just be- in the general sense where like I'm the one who was involved with it. So like, yeah. Uh, but it's also like most of the people that I get feedback from are like biased. Like it's like my friends and yeah. my partner and my family. So it's like when I get to hear. Mm. Like, obviously, we're friends, but, like, it's a bit different. Yeah. Like, we're in this more... No, I'm not afraid to talk shit to you, man. Exactly. I'll, I'll do it. That, and I really value give me that. give a reason. I, I really value that. That's something <laughs> that, like, you and Matt both do that. It's, like, real... Yeah. Uh, if I am doing something shit, you're not afraid to tell me, but you're not, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely. doesn't mean you're going to be an asshole about it, but you're just straight up no, and no. honest, which is something that's on it really not valued enough, I think. 
<laughs> Honestly, like it is one of my many and and you know deeply ingrained virtues, which you know. It it's fine. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a great guy. It's, it's fucking fine. fucking lunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dead set Heath legend. Okay. Oh god, no. <laughs> I mean, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Okay, so um, cool. So you guys uh, recorded it. Um, you guys had a bit of a team. Um, to do you know the music videos in Martin. So what was that creative collaboration like? Uh, on it, what with Martin in particular? Yeah, with Martin. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. Uh, he, so he obviously had like a bit of a different perspective than Colin had because I, I just, I'm guessing it's just the difference in creative process. But um, that was like quite fresh. And I, like, he seemed to have like a really great idea of what we wanted to accomplish with the videos, like to the point where like you would have sworn that I'd briefed him prior to like all the details and it was almost like he understood the concept better than we did sometimes like just understood yeah. where it needed to go for it to be appealing which i suppose is his job in that context but like uh yeah yeah it really really but that's helped. a great opportunity though it's a great opportunity to work with another artist and you're able to have that same wavelength because like when you're in a band together like you've got like a lot of time to kind of figure out each other's each other's you know workflow or whatever but coming together with someone external and just like having that instant like you know snap of the fingers connection like you know that's that's rare oh yeah and it's it's really awesome that you guys were able to have that that kind of relationship um because I'm, I'm just gonna you know assume you haven't really had that kind of collaborative um I guess like spark, but uh, maybe maybe with your producers when you're creating the music. But like as far as creative endeavors go, how do you, how often did that come up for you? Just like in your whole career, not often at all. Yeah, like it, it's yeah. uh, not that I want to talk down any other people that we've worked with because like I don't think mm. we've ever worked with anyone that I would consider to be bad. I think all of the people we've ever had any involvement no, with absolutely. through the band have been great. But like, there's times with like. Yeah, like Martin or like Evan and Ash, where there's been a where there is a spark. There is a very yeah. clear creative chemistry, and that is mm. super super important. Uh, the lesson I think that people could take away from that would be that like, don't be afraid to if you are an artist, uh, in any kind of creative field, don't be afraid to collaborate with as many people as possible because you may create a, a product that you absolutely adore with one person. But there could be another person uh, in that exact same field who is just as accessible, if not more so, who will it, the it, you'll love it even more because they'll just have that yeah that chemistry, that creative chemistry. It's paramount. It's very important. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, and that's that's kind of like a really a really great point to kind of you know finish up this this i guess i know this anthology of like what you guys have well not what you guys like as a band more you on a personal level but also you know in extension your band has kind of gone through to to get to this point and i think i think that's that's like you guys finding these people that you're able to click with in a way that you haven't before was i look it correlation doesn't equal causation but you know, at the same time as you come into contact with these people, you guys start doing things that are bigger and better than everything else you've done before. And I think that's really in indicative of like, you know, you know, growth and understanding how to be better, um, you know, creative minds and, and, you know, really just 
extend yourself to that that level that um, you know you really weren't able to before. And I think that's I think that's really a really valuable takeaway from this conversation, which I'm definitely gonna remember. Is like having those when those moments come up, you know, just like really engaging and, and making the most of that's it. That's it, yeah. As as you as you have, yeah. I think um awesome. So there's there's like one last uh, kind of uh, query I want to like kind of chuck to you before we finish up this one. Okay. Um, so we've talked about your entire, you know, kind of story from start to finish being like, you know, a young guy um, just starting to figure out music and then, you know, developing, you know, your skills as a vocalist. And what do you think was the most critical point for you in that journey? Like, is there any one point which you think if you had a different set of circumstances or if you didn't take an opportunity that you, you know, you couldn't have gotten to where you are right now? What What is that critical point, do you reckon? It's a bit of a tricky one because um, I, I do think about this occasionally and it's kind of difficult to say because uh, I think most of the... Like, it's it's easier to say from the context of the band because obviously, like, the most critical moment with that has been, like, getting involved with producers who are, like, really in sync with us creatively. But for me as an artist, it's a bit harder to pinpoint. Um, mm. I like to think that the critical thing for me was discovering at the time that I did how easily accessible it is to get into creating your own music. So... Uh, like I said, I bought a really crappy $100 interface, uh, questionably attained software, uh, but that that's all it took. Like, on, <laughs> on top of, like, uh, having a little bit of knowledge about uh, my craft, being able to do vocals and, like, obviously being, a multi- being able to do more than one thing, being not just being a one-trick pony does help, but, like, mm. getting into music is really not that hard. Like, getting into creating music, I mean. Um, you can make the most of anything. And you the, the most important thing to remember in that circumstance is not to just wait until you've got everything that you think you need. If you want to make mm. music or, realistically, any kind of artistic endeavor could apply to this. But if you... Using music as an example, if you really want to get into, like, making your own music, it's... All you got to do is want to do it. That's all you really need. Everything else is set out for you. Uh, it's It might be tricky if you don't know how to play an instrument or if you don't know people who know how to play instruments or I don't know. Uh, there, there are things that do make but, it difficult. But finding, but- yeah, but, but finding that, that way to get there, like crossing that hurdle for you particularly just getting your own gear and just starting i mean that would have been i think for you your hurdle and for other people it might be different but just crossing that hurdle and just making a start and and building and and like you know taking the the moment to just go i'm gonna do this and and start building skills you know passively yeah that's it was was kind of that that was where it all kicked off yeah exactly because like after I left my first proper band, uh, like I could have gone in either direction. I could have, I, I, I could easily see myself have, like quitting music if uh, a couple of things had happened differently. But having that opportunity to just like do my own thing for a while without other people dictating my actions and my stylistic choices gave me the 
uh, the opportunity I needed to really like properly discover the passion I had for the for the creative process, not just for the end goal. And like, yeah, that was incredibly important for me because if I had never had that experience, then I never would have properly discovered just how fun it is to be able to create without restraint. And then once you have that experience, I feel like it prepares you for working with other people as well because like you you know it, you know what roughly what wavelength everyone is on and it makes it easier to make compromises uh cuz you're able to empathize better with the people that you're working with like yeah just basically that is by far and large the most important thing that ever happened to me in my music career just being able to make music it sounds silly when i say it like that but that's honestly all it is Yeah, but in the context you know when you bring all these parts together you know it it is it is more than just you know picking up an instrument and making a song it, it's you know there there's so much mentally going on there's so much you know there, there is a lot of internal barriers and and kind of convincing yourself of of you know what the correct thing to do is or you know what the thing is that, that feels right to do and you know going ahead and making that effort to do it so you know, I'm really glad that you uh, made that choice at that critical that choice at that critical point. And um, dude, thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Oh, that's okay. Um, I'm very happy to be here. This has been really good. I'm uh, I'm I'm super stoked that we got to have this conversation and I got to learn a bit more about like you and where you came from and you know what 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 kind of may makes you the artist that you are. So that's really cool, man. Um, is there anything you you wanted to talk about or promote or just plug before we finish up today? Uh look. I, I feel like I'm going to be hounded by the boys if I don't, so I'll just say go listen to my band. <laughs> We're called Devotion Below. Yeah. We're on any streaming service that matters. Uh, Where it's it's isolation at the moment, so there's not a whole lot happening with a lot of live music. But uh, you know, not even if it's not us. Just if anyone listening to this wants to do anything to support bands and keep try and keep the industry alive in this trying time, just Go stream some stuff. Doesn't matter if it's us. Just find a band you like in the scene. Go listen to them. If they have merch, buy it if you can afford it. We're in a really tricky time at the moment with the industry at large just because of coronavirus stopping us from being able to have live shows. So, like, that's a lot of people have been put out by that and we need to do the most that we can to keep them afloat so that we actually have an industry when all of this is over (laughs) and it's not just completely dead in the water. Absolutely, man. I agree so hard with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm afraid of what it's going to look like when we come I'm back. I'm so but... scared. <laughs> I'm so fucking scared. Oh, <laughs> well, on that grim note, um, <laughs> is there a particular song that uh, we're going to chuck on the outro at the end? Is there any particular song of yours that you want us to pop on? Uh, I've been, what, by us or just the song that I like? Uh, by you. By us. Okay. By you, <laughs> I was about to suggest Spirit Box. Um Truth Hurts is our most recent song. We released that one a few months ago. And that's, if you're interested to see what we're going to sound like in in the future, that's probably, I'd say, the best uh, indicator of where we're going creatively. That and Dead Ends, which is like its companion piece. But uh, Truth Hurts is my personal favorite of the two. So, that's the one I'm plugging. (laughs) Hell yeah. All right, man. All right. So, check them out, guys. Um... Find them on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, uh, MySpace. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Tom. I'll uh, we'll finish this up like and 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 sort out the files. But uh, yeah, thank no, you, man. 
thank you for having me. I say I follow this out